Hey everyone, welcome to the part two of the series that we had with Sam Sperlin. Just as a context for the convo, we went into how DAOs should be facilitating emergence, and that naturally goes into how tools like Discord and broader tools can allow for that sort of organizational cohesion within these uh, DAOs. We also get into the broad aspects of how uh, what are the lessons that were taken for. Uh, from his time over at the ready that could be applied for uh, DAOs in general. We also discuss about the ideals of what a DAO should be, which uh, he is not a fan of kind of setting it as a standard. But the key point that I think uh, you listeners will enjoy is we dig into a lot about how DAOs should be digging into what an organizational canvas is and how the discussions around that could ease up a lot of the tensions within the DAO. So let's get into part two and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sam, I just want to kind of understand, uh, do you think that it might be a issue of having like a proper tool? So do you think Discord is like the best place to kind of have these structures like DAOs hosted? Or do you think we should come up with better tools? And how, if, if so... Like, what would be the tools that you think would be more optimal for having the DAO structures that you think are the best? Yeah, it's a great question. And I feel like it's a little bit of a trap because I could talk about like tools stuff. Like, we like for what people like talking about tools, obvious problems with them usually work. We're interacting with them all the time. I mean, my where my first thought goes. Oh, two two separate thoughts. One is, of course, like tools play a huge impact on what it is like to do the work in an organization, whether we're talking about Discord, Slack, you know, email, like whatever. The the, the tools kind of constrain the uh, potential actions that that we can take. So, of course, they have a huge impact. Also, though, I very rarely will push on tools first because there are good and bad ways to use the tools that we already have. There are practices and principles that we can, that will allow Discord to be super helpful and great for us. And there are principles and practices that basically just turn Discord into a worse email. So maybe like often I will, I will encourage organizations to start with whatever the tools they currently have and there's already habits around and see what sort of experimentation we, we can do to make this tool better for us. Um, Cause at least in my experience, if there's already a tool or a suite of tools that most people are, are using, getting people to shift to a different ones, even if they hate the ones that they're currently using is a huge uphill battle. So let's try to like create some, some practices and some agreements around how we'll use our current suite of tools um, and then see how far we can get down the path. And often while we're doing that, there's, um, there's maybe some experimentation happening around the edges with some other tools. And, and then there, I have seen occasionally, you know, being able to, actually jump to a tool that is better designed for like what we're what we're trying to do i mean like for example at the ready like we don't use email um, at least not internally so like i don't have any email with with any of my colleagues i do have it with my my client organizations and i have definitely worked on projects with uh with client orgs where they have been trying to experiment with you know what would it look like if we did something similar what if we didn't have email what if we were able to move our uh our conversations to slack or to teams um, and we've definitely like had some successful projects around that. Um, but I don't know that we've ever like shifted an entire organization in, into that. But, you know, the, the, the thing with traditional orgs is that they're primarily email based and using some sort of other, um, 
chat tool is a huge opportunity for them because I mean, I could easily, we could spend 10 minutes going back and forth about why email is not a great tool uh, in a, especially in a complex environment where you're having to talk with a lot of people. There's lots of ongoing threads of conversation, being able to structure that into topic-based channels. And even if we're not treating the chat tool synchronously, which I would argue we should not, we should treat Discord and Slack as an asynchronous tool. There's a huge opportunity there. For DAOs, we're already primarily in a, in a chat tool, but there's definitely good and bad ways to, to use that. Are we Have we really thought through what our channel structure is? Do we have agreements around when to expect someone to respond to, to something, um, things things like that. That's where my my head would go if I were helping a, a DAO think through some tooling stuff. The way I see it, you know, uh, Discord in general, I think a lot of people put, uh, I mean, see, Discord is not perfect, okay? But at the same time, you take a look at the whole DAO space, 90% of DAOs use Discord. That means Discord must be working in some way if 90% uh, of the entire space is using it, right? But clearly, there are issues within Discord also that kind of make it an issue. My question is, Keith, are we kind of putting a false onus on Discord when clearly it's a lack of uh, documentation or a lack of understanding how your community is operating uh, and then just putting the blame on Discord? You, you know, the way... Uh, the whole system works as, okay, Discord is not perfect, but it does work very well in terms of facilitating async. Maybe uh, a lot of context within most of these broader um, work streams itself could have been better shown also. But uh, for that, uh, you know, are we like really putting the blame on Discord or is it a kind of a lack of uh, broader documentation that could have been uh, supplemented with what you see with tools, you know? I got, I got excited because as you were talking, I was like, oh, you know, maybe what reorgs and structure changes are to traditional organizations bitching about Discord is, is to DAOs, meaning that we, because Discord is where we experience exactly. a lot of the tensions, we think the problem is Discord when really we are, what we are experiencing within Discord is a lack of clarity around authority or a lack of clarity about workflow or a lack of clarity about information. And if we had some agreements around those things, we actually wouldn't have much of a problem with Discord. We're just kind of conflating the tensions that we're feeling with where where we are feeling the tensions, if that makes sense. That's a good uh, way to put it. So briefly, uh, you kind of mentioned that the ready is... Uh, so just want to kind of understand how is that structure different from a DAO and what are the primary differences there? So structurally very, in some ways, similar to a DAO. I think probably the easiest ways to talk through um, the ways that it is different. So we're not, you know, we don't have a token or anything. So um, the owner of the, so Aaron, our founder, you know, retains the vast majority of the equity in the organization. Early on, we were doing some interesting things around um, granting uh, equity to people every year. Um, and the ready would cover the tax burden and everything. Um, but part, I, I don't understand the ins and outs of all of it, but the, the American legal structure doesn't make it easy to gift uh, equity to your employees and not have it become like a huge tax burden for, for the organization. So we've like, we've paused that and instead are doing like a much more generous profit share to try to like still let people participate in the upside of, of being at the ready. But not necessarily earning earning equity. The uh, another thing is that 
we are definitely not permissionless. Like it's hard as shit to get hired by the ready um, by design because, um, you know, we, the work we do, at least up until now, we're kind of doing a little bit of some experimenting around some more, um, some more um, specificity, but we're all like really skilled generalists. Um, we are not necessarily like, we, like, I don't have any colleagues who are like, I only do like this type of project or I only do this type of project. The way that we work with organizations is that we kind of have to be able to do whatever shows up in the organization. So it makes it difficult to hire, but also because we are self-managing, we want to make sure that the folks that are coming into our system, we have a really high level of trust with them. And if you've gone through our hiring process, then I don't have to worry about the fact that you have a company credit card and no rules basically on what you can spend money on. Like, because we have some shared expectations, we do actually have some rules around, you know, $3,000 every four months you can spend in, in, in the ready's purpose or in pursuit of the ready's purpose, no questions asked, like those sorts of, of things. But we, um, you know, we have, we are very, not, I was going to say unstructured. It's not that we're unstructured. It's that we are a very trusting environment. So that the, the membrane around becoming a member of the ready is much, I think, thicker than it is for a lot of, uh, a lot of DAOs. But I mean, other than that, you know, we have, our structure is kind of holocratic uh, in that we have nested circles um, and we have a governance process where if you are going to be affected by uh, an agreement, you have the opportunity to consent to that agreement and help shape that agreement. Specifically consent, though, not consensus. We are not interested in getting to full consensus on everything because it's way too slow. And we are just now starting to experiment in the last year or so because we've gotten large enough up until... About a year ago, we kind of just had did governance at a full company level all the time for everything. But now um, we are experimenting with roles that are representative roles. So there's a member representative who represents me at the source governance at that highest level. And then there are within those nested circles, those circles uh, do the governance related to the thing that they uh, have been given the authority to, to do. So for example, we have a DAO circle uh, within uh, the ready, actually within our transformation circle, which is kind of the circle that holds everybody who holds a role related to doing our consulting work. The DAO circle, Tanisi and I, and anyone else who is a member of that circle, we do governance around our workflow and whatever agreements we need specifically related to how we do DAO stuff. And that's true across the organization, you know, our studio circle, our um, growth circle, things uh, like that. And like I mentioned earlier, we use Murmur to both make those decisions and then have that be the, the central repository of where all those agreements uh, live. So I see a lot of parallels to what's going on within the DAOs, the sort of experimentation that you've done to kind of make the ready uh, kind of an efficient organization. A lot of it you're seeing within the DAO circles itself, you know, the aspect of having some sort of delegated delegates within the whole DAO circle and broader. You don't want to go for consensus because it's too, uh, because it just, just gets too slow. You don't need... Yeah. Another midterm cycle <laughs> today itself is bad enough. Huh? Uh, then yeah. the whole permissioned angle also, you want to keep it uh, very strict also. But then you take a look at how DAOs in general kind of operate. There are these various themes, you know, in which they want DAOs to be. And I mean, as you mentioned, you know, like uh, you, uh, the ready is not permissionless. Okay. There is a strict standard for which, you know, once, uh, I mean, there's a strict uh, barrier to entry. 
you should be a capable candidate and you should fit the criteria and then you're a part of the ready. But once you're in the system, then you have a broad trusted environment where you have that sort of ability to uh, kind of take decisions and you have that whole credit card system where, you know, there's no questions asked for a certain amount of money. There's so much freedom and um, that sort of decision given to you. But you take a look at DAOs, uh, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, should it be permissionless? Should we kind of have a permission system? Should we, should there be that sort of exclusion or not? Uh, should everybody make the decisions or not? Uh, but you take a look at DAOs in specific, decentralized autonomous organizations. It's, I mean, from the definition itself, it's like the entire decision making and operations should be spread across and it should be done without a certain person pulling the lever on it. It should be done in a central way. And that's all we know about it. But all the question about permissionless or, um, yeah. you know, the aspect of uh, how much should be that uh, uh, decentralization should be done. Uh, you tend to see all these these uh, certain organizations putting that central parameter that it should be this way or, it sh you know, you need to have the broader uh, collective voting and all of that. Is it healthy for that sort of uh, discourse to take place or should it be like as long what is that the gray zone you know the gray zone of what a DAO should be you know yeah I'm really hesitant to talk about what a DAO should or shouldn't be uh I, I feel like that's a just not I haven't been in in the space long enough to be to be kind of a, a voice of that what I will say is that I think it's really dependent on what your DAO is there to do I think, you know, we, we often talk about DAOs as this kind of single entity as if they're all the same. But I mean, look at like, you know, 10 different DAOs and you will have 10 very different outcomes that they are trying to create in the world, whether it's just kind of like a, a group of friends trying to invest in stuff together to like making really complex software to literally anything. I have a hard time thinking that given that variety of DAO purpose, that there is one answer to really almost any question. So like, I think I could very easily be convinced that DAOs should absolutely be permissionless and also that DAOs should actually have a, kind of a, a less porous membrane around them. And I think it depends on, on what you're, you're trying to do. I, I hold a personal opinion that I think the work that, you know, uh, Metropolis formerly, Orca and others who are trying to think about what does it mean to have teams that have very specific focuses? Uh, what in the ready we would call concentrated authority. What does that enable within a large organization? Because when you've got that, you don't have to worry about kind of the um, polling everybody or voting on everything across an entire organization. I mean, the ready saw when we got to about 30 people, that was no longer like we couldn't do that anymore. So it definitely is not possible when you get into the hundreds or thousands of, of folks, I don't think, um, for most decisions at least. Um, so I'm really curious to see DAOs experiment with using a consent-based process to give certain teams concentrated authority where they can run in a specific area and still retaining kind of that connection to the larger organization so that they can kind of be recalled or redirected if if they're kind of going too far outside of that concentrated authority. But I think when you get lots of small teams with very clear concentrated authority working toward a common purpose or a common mission, that's where you start to get the interesting emergence, where you start to, I think, get the benefits of DAOs, which are those 
unexpected innovations um, that you can't get in a more hierarchical top-down uh, organization. Yeah, I think you made a fantastic point there. You know, it's like it's at that edge of uh, what is kind of mission-oriented and uh, kind of that the unexplored frontier of uh, innovation. That's where you kind of see broader emergence happen. Just to kind of bring into example. Uh, we had Drake Danner, who was the, one of the key operators for Metrics Tower, essentially a broad community of people or data analysts per se within the Web3 ecosystem. They kind of look into uh, different questions brought in by clients about certain analytical issues, and then they come out with solutions. And those questions are kind of put together in the form of bounties, which make it kind of a gamified ways for the broader analysts to just kind of come in and answer those questions. And the community, how they kind of made this a broader community where it became really cohesive was that they decided to have an educational on-ramp, which means they set in courses where if you were a beginner in this whole data science and assessing the whole data analytics app, uh, aspect, you had a course that was done by these people the, some of the top data analysts within Web3 and they would teach you everything about uh, this whole thing and it would be outcome oriented where uh, eventually you would land jobs within that network and yeah. essentially the funny thing was this was something that was totally unplanned you know yeah. or, or most of them didn't have that expectation because everybody had this thing oh, oh man it's education man this might be real tough how do you execute this and Will you see that sort of uh, broader, uh, how do you put it, that whole, the positive outcomes that you see for, with that community cohesion. But when they structured it and when it came out, it turned out to be one of the most positive things for the community that you could see. And in that sense, you know, the, the sort of emergence that came out of it was a pretty lit that way. But you, st you take a step back you know, and you talk about emergence in general. I mean, you see this being uh, facilitated within these DAOs when they are big enough and when you're trying to create that sort of kinetic energy from a certain stagnation from their operations. You, but what about DAOs that are starting off? I mean, how DAOs can operate from early cycle to late stage? The, these structures are kind of very uh, malleable. They, they kind of evolve according to the community itself. How do you see uh, organizational design evolve for DAOs who are like at early stages. The way I see it, uh, the DAOs just kind of pick up a Discord. They have certain uh, key operational roles set up. They have departments set up and then they start to get rolling. What you don't see being done right from the early stage is that the structure that is necessary for them to grow, how do these workflows kind of operate, the action meetings, uh, the sort of the structure that you see within these large DAOs, you don't see that being enabled from large DAOs within these early stage DAOs because they're still trying to get a feel of what's kind of working for them. And even if they did understand their purpose, uh, they want to allow for the community to kind of dictate that. And it would just kind of be ignored. Are DAOs making a mistake ignoring the facilitation of an organizational design from the start? Or should that be done only when there's like a broad critical mass of community? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually of the belief that I don't think you should over structure or over optimize anything org design related um, early on. So I think it's totally fine for a DAO to just kind of do what it wants for a bit. And I think the key thing though, is to pretty quickly get on that rhythm of retrospective and experimentation um, based on what is actually coming up. 
So I don't think, you know, the, the way to start any organization, particularly a DAO is to like necessarily like figure out your purpose and essential intent right up front. I mean, I think that's fine. If, it, if, if you're, that's already clear and like, that's why you're convening people, then, then that's fine. Um, but I don't think kind of going through and, and creating a bunch of structure in the hopes of, or the prediction that we're going to need it is actually the right move. I think, uh, the, the structure should be in response to actual tensions that are coming up along, uh, the way. I think the mistake that many organizations make is that they wait too long and then they feel like they have to take major, they have to make major changes in order to address the things that have come up. But if you're regularly, you know, pausing and asking yourself, what is going on within our, our org design right now? And are we okay with it? And the things that we're not okay with, can we figure out a way to experiment around that? As long as you're on that cadence, um, then I think you're, you can't go too far astray. The problem is when you start something and you go a year just kind of doing stuff and then you get to this breaking point where like, oh my God, there are some like, like really fundamental tensions here that I wish we had talked about earlier. That's when you start to get into the dangerous zone of feeling like your experiments have to be big. And the bigger your experiment is, the harder it is to pull off um, and the less likely you are to do more experiments because the experience of doing that experiment was so brutal that you're just like, I don't want to go through that again. But I think the, the, the pattern or what you're looking for is, can we just make experimentation around our org design just part of how we do work? Like, it's not anything special. It's like every month we have one or two things that we're playing with and we're learning from it and we're either pivoting away from them or or scaling them up based on how, how things are, are going. I would, I definitely don't want to be the voice and I'm sometimes sensitive to making sure that I'm not of like, you got to have it all figured out. You got to do your structure. You got to have action meetings. You got to do this. You got to do that. I don't actually think you have to do anything until you've actually started to feel the problems of not having a thing. But then the issue is, you know, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I mean, I agree that, you know, to some extent you got to uh, let have, you got to have some sort of serendipity. You got to like let the community flow, and then you just kind of kind of set that structures in place. But then what happens is that uh, the problem that you mentioned is they take too long to figure out that there's a real problem. How do you start assessing then? Should does? But the problem is when it becomes too big of an issue, then uh, you kind of bring in that sort of uh, uh, solutions to stop it. It's like uh, I forget the name of the movie. I, um, John Cleese, one character also, he says when the world is going to kind of going to end, he says that when every time in history, you know, you see mankind kind of face a rapid issue that means kind of break down mankind in general. It's only at the precipice of that moment that mankind will find solutions to kind of change that. And it's only at that moment it turns out to be a, a win. My question is, why do you need to wait that long? Why do organizations get to that point? Why do DAOs get to that point where uh, the communities, uh, it becomes kind of a problem? How do you kind of allow for assessing when tensions are, uh, when do you start bringing in that sort of solutions when tensions are okay rather than becoming a big problem? How do you bring in that sort of assessments? Yeah, I, I think we get to that point because unless you are, a super nerd about org design stuff like me or my colleagues or you guys as you're interviewing me about org design stuff or probably the folks who would listen to a podcast like this, I have to constantly remind myself that most people don't give a shit about this. 
They don't. They're in an organization to do the work of the organization, to do their job. They're not, they're, they're working, uh, they're, they're, they're not working on the organization. They're working in the organization. And sometimes I get, I lose track of the fact that not everybody is thinking about the org design stuff. So I think it's very easy to just let things kind of accrue over time because people just aren't thinking, they don't have the time to think about it. They're trying to just do their job, which I think is totally understandable and, and, and worth remembering. I mean, I think what I was talking about in terms of just getting onto a rhythm doesn't have to be particularly um, uh, arduous. So like we have uh, the first workshop that I will often run with organizations, I'm doing one with the DAO tomorrow, is we essentially get together and we put a blank OS canvas on the table in front of us and we just talk through like, what is the current reality? Uh, and we go through field by field. So purpose, like, do we have one? Do we feel like we need one? Like, well, how are we using the idea of purpose? Then we go to the next one. All right, meetings, what are meetings like here? Are they good, are they bad? Like, how do we feel about that? Membership, mastery, compensation. We just talk through it all to get a bit of a sense of where the tensions are. And then we talk about, all right, well, so this tension that popped up or this field that seems to have like 10 tensions in it versus this one that has none, let's talk about what we could do here. And then we're talking about practices that may address those tensions. I'm bringing stuff in from my experience of you know the, the various case studies, a lot of these self-managing organizations that have figured out how to do these various things. Bringing these as examples, and then we, 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 we pick one that looks like it'll work and we design an experiment that is specifically designed for their context. Like, all right, for the next three weeks, we're gonna try this or you know, two of us are going to go off and design a thing that we think will be useful. We'll bring it back in two weeks and we'll actually try it. Something like that. And I mean, you can do that in, in 90 minutes and have a really productive session. And if you do that every two months, you're not going to suddenly show up and be like, oh my God, this tension that we've never seen or we've never talked about is suddenly like consuming everything. At least in my experience, usually tensions that become a big deal were first small deals at first. And if you've been talking about them along the way, it's not surprising if it becomes kind of a big deal. But if you never talk about it, then when it shows that when we finally do come together or if something does just kind of pop off as particularly broken, it can feel, you can get very easily kind of get out of control. Like, oh my God, like how did we let it get this bad? Well, we have to take major action because we have a major problem. And having to take major action is uh, high risk. Uh, we often talk about a saying that I try to put in people's minds is what does it look like to do something radical at a non-radical scale? Like that is the, the, the basis of a good experiment. Trying to do something radical at a radical scale, you're going to have a bad time. And if you're at a point where you only look at your tensions once a year or never or only when it really hurts, your impulse is going to be to do something radical at a radical scale. And that's a rough spot to be in. So Sam, uh, you kind of mentioned uh, organizational OS uh, about twice. Uh, so can, for the audience who don't know about organizational OS, can you just like briefly touch upon it and give us like some understanding of what it is exactly? Sure. And that yeah, OS canvas, just... you know, the OS yeah. canvas that you said, yeah. imagine that the listeners are your prospects now and you're just going to bring that whole canvas <laughs> to them. Just walk yeah. us through what it would be like. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I say operating system or organizational operating system, we're just using it as an analogy or a metaphor. So if you think about a computer, uh, your phone, whatever, it has an operating system, right? But generally, for most people, you're not interacting directly with the code that makes up the operating system. What you're interacting with is everything that rides on top of the operating system. And the operating system is this kind of unhid this hidden layer that has 
um, that that has rules and everything baked into it um, that affects what you actually do interact with. So let's think about that at an organizational level. So if we have an organizational operating system, what is the kind of hidden layer that everything we do interact with, the experience of working in or interacting with uh, an organization, what are those things? And they're, we would argue they are principles, they are practices, they are assumptions about certain things. And those certain things are what we would call um, the operating system canvas, which are 12 uh, different fields. And all these fields are, are just parts of an organization where you have assumptions, where you have principles, where you have practices. And I'll just rattle through them real quick. I'm looking over my left shoulder because I actually have it taped to my wall because I think it's just like nice decor, uh, but also is useful to make sure I don't miss anything. So from the top left, uh, purpose, strategy, workflow, membership. So purpose, how we, how we use purpose to steer uh, and make decisions. Uh, strategy, yeah, I, I don't, probably don't need to define each of these. Um, membership is maybe one that is surprising to hear, but it's basically just how do we cultivate relationships in our organization? What does it mean to be a member? Next row down, authority, resources, meetings, and mastery. And then the last row is structure, innovation, information, compensation. So when I talk about that exercise where we just get together and we try to understand our operating system, that's the artifact that I'm putting in front of people. And we're going through and talking about, you know, what are the tensions that that potentially exist here? And when you do that with a team, um, one is that you quickly realize that attention um, can often go in multiple boxes. Like we think it's a communication tension, but then we start talking about it a little bit more and we realize actually it's really a, a, an authority thing. Like we don't have clear authority, so therefore it's manifesting as a communication problem. So I think just doing that more regularly um, builds a team's ability to talk about things that are going on in a non-emotional um, way. I think it's actually a key thing. It's It can be hard for a first time to talk about tensions that exist in an operating system because it feels like a failure, especially if you're in a, in a position of leadership in that organization. Um, so I, I really work hard with teams to try to just make this, this is not an, a, and this is not a, um, we're not condemning anyone. We're not shaming anyone. We're just trying to understand what's going on in this very complex system. And as we get better at talking about it, we can get better at potentially solving for it, which is why we've created those, those those tension cards that I mentioned before, because something we discovered very early on is that it was actually really hard for people to put words to what they were feeling about their organization. But if you put these cards in front of people, then they can just read the card and it, it seems to be easier for them to make a connection to the feeling that they're actually having. They can be like, oh yeah, like, that is definitely something that we have. That is definitely something we have. And this one is definitely something we have. And But over time, people need the cards less. They're able to articulate the, what's going on for them um, in a organizational um, kind of context. Um, so that's the, that's the operating system. Um, I guess, what did I not cover maybe that you think folks would want to know more about? No, I think that uh, in general, what you have there is a very vast way to understand organizational design as a whole. The entire variables you have it there in a way that's easy for uh, your prospects to kind of understand exactly where to pinpoint what. And that's pretty phenomenal. And uh, having this done in two months, every two months itself, it's a fantastic way for communities to just kind of wrap it up. Amazing. What I want to understand here is, and you've done uh, a lot of these uh, 
are reported workshops with these DAOs, you know, where exactly do you see the major problems stemming from that issues? You know, where are the major tensions that you've kind of seen within that? And why has that happened? Yeah, I think the most common uh, fields of the canvas where I have done work with DAOs, I'm just looking over my shoulder here, if my voice is changing, uh, purpose, strategy, uh, are two for sure that often are very, very connected. I actually have not done a lot of, of meetings stuff. Um, I would say primarily purpose, strategy, and um, authority are kind of the three where we've done the, the most work. I'm happy to go into detail about any of those, but that's, and that, that is actually a little bit different than my traditional client work, which I'm still doing traditional client work. And that very commonly starts in the workflow meetings and information column of the the canvas and i'm not i i have to like think more about why that difference I exists i think probably you know traditional organization are generally like they their their purpose is pretty well articulated it may not be a useful thing like people may not may not be using the purpose the way that we would want them to use it but it's like it's there and it doesn't really feel like it can change whereas you know daos there are so many degrees of freedom with what is happening within DAOs and within their org design. Um, I think kind of coalescing around a purpose um, feels um, kind of top of mind for a lot of them if they haven't yet already already done that. Not to mention, DAOs are very nascent. I mean, yeah. uh, Gitcoin DAO, which we'll get into pretty soon also, by the way, just a year in existence, you know? And the way, as you aptly mentioned, you know, there's always going to be major tensions around authority around purpose because the community is constantly evolving. You know, it's not like yeah. uh, the trad world where uh, the people are going to be sticking around for a decent period of time. The purpose has been there since a couple of years. All you're doing is working to ensure that a more of a horizontal growth approach towards that purpose. You're not going to see a radical shift in that entire purpose. But within DAOs, because you're so nascent, you're struggling to find that sort of product market fit. You're struggling to uh, kind of cater to what's needed in the community. Within a month, the entire NFT space is going to be completely different. Tokens are just going to, uh, the way you see tokens are just going to be radically shift. And all these DAOs are just kind of struggling to be relevant on a monthly basis. So, and not to mention, so it's uh, dealing with all these external externalities that, uh, you know, purpose, uh, strategy, and the broad uh, um, what do you call it? authority will always be a massive tension. It's pretty neat that way. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed part two of this episode. Uh, we will now head into the cream of his DAO work that he's done with Bitcoin DAO. Bitcoin DAO, uh, what were the issues that Bitcoin DAO faced in general that allowed for his uh, the scope of work that he had done, how he landed the gig there in the first place, what were some of the key tension points that the DAO kind of faced and how to facilitate that sort of tough convos. And we also get into the challenges that DAOs face while developing that sort of essential intent and how to solve that. And of course, trivia organizational design questions. So do stay tuned for that one. Uh, it'll be a baller part three that we are going to get ahead into. Have a great day ahead.